Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Mornings with Carmen. I'm your host, Carmen LaBerge. We have uh, had lots of conversations in the first hour about the headline news of the day. If you missed that, please go back and grab the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. We're going to press ahead in this hour, and we're going to talk about friendship. Um, You know that this is a a concern in my life. You know that it is a concern in your life as well. So when I use the term friend, when you think of the term friendship, when you enumerate your real friends— You got more than a handful? You got more than, I don't know, one, two, three, four, five? Is Jesus your friend? Are you a friend of God? Would God, would God, like he called Abraham, would God call you his friend? In James chapter 2, verse 23, James says, the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. It's one thing for us to consider friendship on a human level. It's a whole nother conversation to talk about what it means to be a friend of God. How in the world would that be possible um, only by his grace and um, and by his really doing everything necessary that's uh, uh, to accomplish that, to make that possible? Jesus says in John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I have made known to you. There was nothing that Jesus um, had withheld at this point from the disciples, and he is looking at them. Um, he has He's having a conversation with them about um, the vine and the branches. He's having a conversation with them about abiding in him. He's having a conversation with them about serving in the same ways that he serves. And he says, you know, I don't, I, I don't call you um, servants. I'm not even calling you followers right now. I'm calling you friends. And he goes on to say, you are my friends if you do what I command. And what is it that Jesus commands? He commands us to love. He commands us to love others as we have been loved by God in Jesus Christ. And he calls us to love our enemies. He calls us to love in ways that are totally contrary to the ways of the world. And so in friendship, particularly in Christian friendship, there are, um, there are some conversations that we need to have, and we, we need to be honest about how hard it is to, um, to have the kinds of friends that we want and to be the kinds of friends that others need. So that conversation, the art of friendship, um, what it looks like to really create and keep relationships that matter. This conversation up next with author Kim Weir. We'll be right back. Yeah, you've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. All right, we're going to talk about the art of friendship with Kim Weir. Kim, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. It's such a joy to have you with us today. Um, I'd like for you to just take the opportunity to introduce yourself, 
talk about your um, talk radio background and, and then also your background as a women's ministry leader. I'd appreciate you just introducing yourself to our audience. Oh, thanks. You know, I love listening to you because I just spent two hours doing the same thing last night. I host a live call-in radio talk program in the Houston market, and it's just so much fun to have conversations with people, to hear about uh, new perspective and insight and learn. And I think that's what I love most about doing radio is how much I learn. I've been doing that for uh, about 15 years so, um, but more fun than talking with people through a microphone is talking face to face. And so I love getting to serve, uh, as a women's ministry leader and encourage women to dig into the word. I'm a Bible teacher and I think that's probably my first love. So thanks for asking. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to talk today about your book, The Art of Friendship, Creating and Keeping Relationships That Matter. I think that, um, anytime we talk about friendship, there's a, um, there's a little bit of pain in the midst yes. of this in the midst of this conversation. So, talk about why we need to talk about friendship um, and really the, you know, sort of the the friendship wound that probably exists in all of us. Holy smokes! We all, I could talk for hours about it, but ask any woman in particular uh, about the pain of friendship and the joy of friendship, and she's got a story. There's something difficult about maintaining friendships, and yet we can't really survive without them. There's this huge vacuum, this incredible loneliness we feel, even if, let's say, we're in other healthy relationships, if we're, you know, having a vibrant work relationship, if we're in a marriage relationship that's healthy, all those things are wonderful. But there is this painful vacuum when we lack for friends, and we don't just feel it, but Carmen Research actually proves it, too. There's a lot of research out now that talks about this concept of, of the detriment of loneliness, um, that it's more detrimental than smoking 15 cigarettes a day, that it's worse for you than obesity. They did a study in Australia that um, older people were 22% more likely to die than counterparts during the same period of time if they lacked healthy friendships. And so, I mean, we don't just feel it, but you look around and, and there's actually quantitative proof that loneliness, the lack of, of healthy friendships is not only painful, it's dangerous. So let's talk about healthy friendships. Let's talk about, what, I mean, how would you even define that? D define, what is a healthy friendship? You, that is such a great question. Well, listen, thanks for starting with this description of Jesus from the Bible that where he's describing himself as a friend, because the cultural definition of friendship, which is, I'm going to tell you all my secrets. You're going to accept me just as I am. Um, you're going to be there for me no matter what, and uh, I'm going to pin all of my hopes on you, is not healthy friendship. What we think we desire most turns out not to be healthy at all. So particularly as believers, if we really want to know what healthy friendship is, it's like anything else. We look for a model in the Bible. Lord, what is it that you have ordained? What is it that you have prescribed? Because if you've prescribed it for me and you created me, ultimately that has to be what's good for me. Um, if you think about Carmen marriage, I mean, there's a beautiful picture of what a healthy marriage looks like in God's word. Not only is it um, a prescription of how relationships should work, but it actually tells us the purpose for it. There's a greater purpose for marriage because it's supposed to draw a picture of what Christ is to his church. So it's a, it's a living illustration. Turns out friendship is the same thing. It's a living illustration that we show to each other in the world of a relationship that already exists between us and God, the one you described earlier. 
Jesus says, I'm your friend. And then he says, I'm your friend. I love you as a friend. And then he gave us a couple of things that friendship means. It means putting the other person first, laying down my life for you. He said that in the same passage. And he also said, and being transparent, I tell you everything my father told me. That's how you know you're my friend is I'm disclosing secrets to you. And so that right there are two main ingredients that make us the kind of friend Jesus wants to show the world. And we know he wants us to do it too, because he says now, go and love as I've loved as a friend. And so we kind of get the beginning of a prescription there. And as we look at what else he says about love, in scripture, we have a, a, basically a guidebook to good friending. So in your book, which we're talking with Kim Weir about the art of friendship, creating and keeping relationships that matter, you can find Kim and this book at Kim Weir, and Weir is spelled W-I-E-R, KimWeir.com. Um, Kim, you talk about uh, authentic friendship, and you distinguish that from maybe the kinds of friendship that, that the world purveys. Talk a little bit about the attributes of authentic friendship. Oh, my goodness. Well, okay, so let me ask you, Carmen, you know, when is a time that you've had a friend that you felt like was as open with you as you were with her? So see, as the person who is often less vulnerable in a relationship, um, that would be a better question for you to ask of Jessica (laughs) or Tiana or right of my friends. That would be a better question for you to ask of them because they would have a ready list. I feel like people disclose so much and I am more guarded. Mm. And, and I do think that, that we're like that. There is this element of the trust factor that's diminished in the 21st century. I don't know if you feel it, but, you know, in an era of fake news and fake friends and, you know, instant divorce, there, there we've lost this ability to, to trust. And you can't really have authentic relationships without trust. I mean, think about the trust Jesus had to have to share with vulnerable, weak creatures like Peter, who couldn't keep his mouth closed at times. And yet he was going to share things that his father told him and entrust them to these people. And he did it first. I think that's part of the, one of the really uh, powerful things about friendship is it's got this whole go first concept. Mm -hmm. If you want to have trust, then trust first. If you want to be a friend, be a friend first. Um, Jesus said, I didn't choose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. You could add first on the end of that sentence. And there is this incredible vulnerability that's required for us, Carmen, to have that kind of friendship. We have to go first and we have to trust. So authenticity starts with this whole concept of being able to trust and being able to trust before you see the fruit of that. That doesn't mean you go out and share every secret secret with everybody because yes, you'll probably get betrayed, but it does mean that you're wisely and prayerfully willing to be honest and open with somebody. Kim Weir and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We have to take a brief break. Uh, the book is The Art of Friendship, Creating and Keeping Relationships That Matter. We'll be right back. Joining me now, uh, radio talk show host, Bible teacher, author, Kim Weir. You can find her at KimWeir.com. Weir is spelled W-I-E-R. The book we're talking about today, The Art of Friendship, Creating and Keeping Relationships That Matter. Um, Kim, let's talk a little bit about the difference between being friendly 
and being a friend? Now, that's 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 a painful question, a convicting question. Uh, <laughs> I am. I I am let me just go ahead and confess. I'm a really friendly stranger. <laughs> I am a really, really, really friendly stranger. But cultivating um, new friendships at this stage of life, real meaningful friendships at this stage of life is hard. Yeah, I always say I'm the best Walmart friend there ever was. You know, <laughs> I, I, I love going because I can say hi to everybody and I feel like I've checked that off my list. You know, so um, I think the difference between being friendly and being a friend is is depth. Um, it's it's commitment. The Bible is so full of all of these incredible examples of friendships. And while all of them have these great lessons and, and examples to set for us about elements of friendship, it would take all of them combined to kind of give us the kind of picture that our model is, which is Jesus. And so I think in one sense, we can let ourselves off the hook. Like, I'm not here to beat anybody up over being, you need to be a better friend because I live in a glass house. I'm like you. I have to work at it. I, I am really good with strangers. I'm super comfortable in a room full of people I never met before. Um, and I love to make connections between other people. Here, you'd be a great friend for her. Um, but the, but it all, I want to say, I think that it stems, at least for me, from that inner voice in my head that is constantly telling me, they don't want to be your friend. They already have friends. You know, you're not you're not good enough. Um, and I think, Carmen, we all have a voice in our head. We all do. Um, and it comes from so many different places. Uh, I always say, you know, it's the it's the echo of the scars and the fears that we we have accumulated over a lifetime. And it becomes a voice in our head that is there to sabotage and criticize us. And it's not the same as a conscience and it's not the same as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when he corrects us, does it with love and grace and our self-critic does it to tear us down. And that's you can you can tell how you feel about it, um, where that voice is coming from. And so that voice can keep us from diving in deeper um, and until we can make her shut up (laughs) and sit down and stop and replace those self-critical voices with things that are true then we're going to have a hard time being the person who dives in and is willing to trust. Um, and that really comes, Carmen, from going back to um, what we were talking about earlier, which is the Word of God. Um, he is the friend that speaks truth to us. He is the friend that tells us what he really thinks of us, even more than we know about ourselves. And it's really getting into his Word and seeing that he says, not only am I fearfully and wonderfully made, not only am I a pearl of great price and a treasure, but that literally I'm so valuable that I'm worth somebody laying down their life, let alone being my friend for. So I I really, while there's a difference between, you know, an authentic friend and a superficial friend, sadly, while we think it's all about the other person not committing to us, it really is mostly about us being too fearful to give everything to other people. So I think it really has to start, sadly, has to start with us. So you're illuminating there um, things that God tells us in his word about us and the way that he sees us and feels about us. My guess is there are people who are surprised by the, those descriptions that you just used, Descri- that, that God considers us um, so precious, so valuable, um, that it, it's, it's almost, it defies description. And if we fail to see ourselves that way, 
then we fail to be people who can extend that kind of um, sense of value and worth to other people. So what are some of the lies that we believe that are just wrong? Um, and then help us replace those with some of this language that you just used, this pearl of great price, this precious, uh, fearfully and wonderfully made um, understanding of ourselves in, in terms of God's seeing us. So I think one of the things, the lies that I believed um, was that nobody needed me. <laughs> That's, you know, so I grew up moving every two years. So every two years, Carmen, we were in a new school in a new town. And that meant that I had to start all over being rejected. You know how hard it is to, to find a friend. Everybody already has friends. And so just about the time I made a group of friends, we moved again and it all started over. And in one particular town, there was a little fallout and I was in sixth grade and I kind of got shunned from a whole group. And I never even knew why it happened after a sleepover. Now, all these things sound ridiculous, yet they formed my view of myself that, that I was the secondhand friend. I was the leftover friend. And so I brought that whole concept of how do I make friends who would want me as an adult? And I think we do that. The little girl in us or the little boy in us even uh, shows up as an adult and it's, she's still inside. And she's still saying the same things or she's still repeating the things that other people have said about us um, as we were growing up. And that uh, as silly as that sounds, it's so real. It's oh, so that real. Is so real. And that I, is so I just, absolutely I, real. Yeah. And so and so what do you do about that? You either keep carrying those scars and listening to the little frightened person inside of you or you go and you teach that little person inside of you the truth. And you let Jesus say to her uh, the things that he does, which is, I created you for relationships. I sent you out in the world so other people would know who I am. I have given you my character. I have poured out my love on you. I have showed the world the goodness of who God is through you, my wonderfully uh, intricate and intimate friend. And so... Going through the Psalms, going through and, and reading them and highlighting them and making that a conversation with God and looking over and over again about what he says about us and literally saturating yourself in truth is the only way to teach that little person inside of you what's true. And until you friend yourself, seriously, it's the most important friendship outside of your friendship with God. You have to choose to friend yourself to like yourself, to forgive yourself if that need be before you can offer a really healthy friend to somebody else who will need to do the same thing. Hmm. You're just precious, and this is such a gift. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, if you're listening right now, you can find Kim Weir at KimWeir.com. Please go check out The Art of Friendship, Creating and Keeping Relationships That Matter. Kim, thank you so much. Carmen, you're delightful. We'll have to be closer so we can be friends. Yeah, let's be friends in real life. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. We'll be right back. What are you remembering today and what does it mean to remember? I, I, I recall having a conversation uh, about what the Bible is talking about when when God is calling us to remember and never forget certain things. And then in other places where God is telling us to not remember, 
um, and to let things uh, that have passed remain there. And so it's important for us to, to ask ourselves, what are the things that God is calling me to remember, and what does that mean? And in Scripture, this whole concept of remembering is to become a member of something again, to remember, to become a member again of an event, of, of a people, um, in terms of remembering the act of Christ upon the cross and this sacrament that he gives us uh, in, in the breaking of the bread and the receiving of the cup. And he talks about remembering what he has done. We are actually becoming a member again of that event, to remember, to become a member again of what it means um, to be a person for whom Christ died, to remember, to become a member again of the body of believers who, with one voice and in one accord, bow the knee uh, before the Son of God and acknowledge His tremendous sacrifice on our behalf. And then, and then to get up from our knees and to remember as members of that body to go out into the world that God so loves and to help other people remember, become members again of the family of God. Um, it's just, it, it's more than just thinking about what happened in the past. It's actually becoming a member again of those events. And so as we turn from um, remembrance to then the headline news of the day, um, I just always think that it's helpful for us to remember what it means to remember. All right, up next, I'm going to be talking with Dr. David Aikman. We're going to talk about some of the international headline news of the day. Brexit is upon us on January the 31st, and we have not yet uh, here on today's program touched on the coronavirus, which is obviously breaking news across the globe. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, you can always... Um, let me know what you're thinking. You can email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. If you're looking for an opportunity to get together, I am going to be in the Twin Cities, July 24th and 25th at the University of Northwestern's, it's called the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference. That's actually the website as well, NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. you got a few days left to get the 20% off registration in the month of January. So why don't you consider joining us? You've probably got a story in you that would, you know, needs to be told. I mean, the headlines today are all about John Bolton's forthcoming book. And so it's a good day to think about the story that might be in you that's worth telling to others. So if you are an aspiring author, think about joining us at the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference.com. We'll be right back. This is Max Lucado. Hypocrisy turns people against God. So God has a no-tolerance policy. Let's take hypocrisy as seriously as God does. Expect no credit for good deeds. Give financial gifts in secret. Don't fake spirituality. When you go to church, don't select a seat just to be seen or sing just to be heard. And if you raise your hands of worship, raise holy ones, not showy ones. Bottom line, don't make a theater production out of your faith. Slay the desire to be noticed. Stir the desire to serve God. Heed the counsel of Christ. First, wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. Do good things. Just don't do them to be noticed. You can be too good for your own good, you know. This is Max Lucado. My name is Bond, James Bond.
That really groovy walk-up music means that Dr. David Aikman is back in the house. Welcome back, sir. Thank you very much, Carmen. Great to be on the show. Oh, it's always wonderful to talk with you. Uh, January 31st is almost here. Here is something that I learned over the weekend about Brexit, which is about to happen. Uh, Unveiled on Sunday, the 50 pence coin, which here in America, you know, we think pence means the vice president, but it's a... Um, it's it's actually an a, a coin, a, a right. Okay, so the the fifty pence coin was uh, unveiled, uh, and the inscription says "Peace, Prosperity, and Friendship with All Nations." Now, for students of American history, they recognize that that echoes the words of President Thomas Jefferson in his first inaugural address when he uh, said. Peace, commerce, and honest friendship with all nations is an essential principle um, for American administration. So we just think that it's kind of fun that, um, you know, we we view that as a little, you know, that's a little revolutionary, man. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think what you have here is the British government is trying to put the both glamorous face it can on an event that most Europeans don't like and most people in the world don't even understand. So they're doing the best they can to make a glorious finish to the EU involvement of the UK. So tell us what to expect. Um, You know, some would describe it as a withdrawal uh, deal. Some would describe it as, you know, a divorce. Um, How are you describing, how do you see Brexit and what can we expect in the next couple of weeks? Well, I don't think we can expect anything in the next couple of weeks except um, announcements of various celebrations in the UK. Uh, In fact, we're not going to expect virtually anything in the next year while the UK tries to renegotiate a trade deal with the EU along lines that it had when it was a member of the EU. But I think I would describe it as very much a divorce because the divorce settlement is the amount of money that the EU required the UK to fork over as part of its payment for unpaid measures already in store. So um, I don't think there's anything beyond that. The, The negotiations for any renewed agreement will have a lot to do with things like workers' rights, standards of hygiene, standards of animal treatment, standards treatment for uh, poor people and so forth. But it won't fundamentally alter the British position or the European position. It's basically a negotiation of an extended uh, transition time period until everything is complete. Okay, so can we pivot from there to this proposed Mideast peace plan um, and what we know about it at this point? We are, we're hearing um, that evangelical Christians are, in particular, kind of excited about it. It's being called the deal of the century. It's expected to be uh, revealed either today or tomorrow. Here are uh, some of the things right. that we do, we do know, that it's not going to give um, the Palestinians any airspace or the ability to establish treaties or the ability to have any kind of of army. What do you know about the plan, and what do you what, what kind what's the perception globally of this 
you know, frankly, American effort to see peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians? Well, I think global observers of international diplomacy have almost uh, had an overdose of cynicism for the last several decades. I mean, we've seen American presidents rushing to the fore with this plan and that plan. There was uh, George W. Bush's plan, and then there was the Reagan plan. And all of these plans sort of fizzled out completely. And the reason was that the Palestinians simply weren't on board. And I cannot see that they're on board for this one. So although it sounds the glamorous, the deal of the century, who wouldn't want to accept that? In point of fact, it certainly falls far short of what the Palestinians have always been asking for, which is the right to have their own state with diplomatic relations with other countries and to govern their own affairs in a normal way. They're certainly not going to get that under this plan. So the president of the United States has said, although uh, the Palestinians may react negatively at first, it's actually positive for them and they have a lot of incentives to do it. Um, We haven't seen the plan yet, but um, we also know the Palestinians were not a party to uh, to the contents of it, which, you know, is always it's always a little bit of a challenging way to approach something. That's right. I think there are some good deals for the Palestinians. There, there are certain economic privileges offered by the U.S., help for the Palestinian economy and so forth. I don't know the details of that. But it falls far short of their number one priority of recognition of themselves as a sovereign state with the right to conduct business like most sovereign states which the Israelis will never permit, because in point of fact, if the Israelis, if, sorry, if the Palestinians had all the rights of self-defense and military protection in that part of the territory that's now called the West Bank, they would be overlooking Ben Gurion Airport with short-range anti anti-airline and missiles, which would be absolutely fatally damaging to any security or uh, aircraft flying into Israel. So they're not going to get the demands that they wanted. And I don't know whether they're going to be content with the economic incentives that the U.S. has apparently introduced into this scheme. All right. I'm talking with Dr. David Aikman. He's the editor of Godspeed magazine. Uh, When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about a court ruling um, related to Myanmar and the Rohingya refugees. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. So sometime back, An attorney for the African nation of Gambia and some civil rights attorneys from around the world brought a case to the United Nations alleging that Myanmar, also known as Burma, um, was systematically uh, committing genocide against a um, Muslim minority called the Rohingya. And it is well documented. The Rohingya people have been persecuted, tormented, and really sought to be eliminated by the Myanmar government through its military. 
Um, so maybe surprisingly to many of us, there was a very strong ruling against Myanmar by the United Nations top court last week. Um, there's a lot of international pressure on the country of Myanmar to protect its Muslim Rohingya minority. I think where we stand now, David, is we're waiting to see how Myanmar will respond. That's right. I mean, the, the issue is whether uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, the president of Myanmar, will really admit that there has been atrocious um, human rights violations against Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar, and whether she can fire the people deemed perhaps responsible for authorizing this behavior. And I don't think we're going to see that. But I think the most striking thing about this ruling is the way that the previously pristine reputation of Aung San Suu Kyi as Mrs. Miraculous Human Rights Lady has really fallen uh, fallen down under revelation to what her regime has actually done to the Rohingya. And for the Rohingya, it categorizes them as a legitimate minority of world state, which has grossly mistreated them and may have tried to commit genocide. So certainly as Christians, we want to be praying for the more than 700,000 Rohingya who have um, fled from Myanmar across the border into Bangladesh. We want to pray for Bangladesh, which is not a wealthy country in terms of its reception of these nearly million refugees. More than a 100,000 Rohingya have been forced into camps within Myanmar. Um, waves of violence uh, perpetrated against them, uh, human rights reporting all kinds of documented mass killings and a burning of entire villages with the people in them. I mean, we're, we're talking about um, a, a very, very significant thing that's happening halfway around the world. And David, I'll tell you that most Americans have never heard of the Rohingya, they wouldn't be able to find Miramar or Burma on a map. Um, and in this no, age no. of such like ready global communication, I mean, when when our literally our hair is on fire that uh, you know that there are a handful of people dying of the coronavirus, which you and I are going to talk about here in a moment. Um, we seem unconcerned about these just massive events uh, happening around the world. Well, I think the the fault of the issue. Uh, I'm sorry to say this, and it may sound critical, lies in the American primary educational, well, primary and secondary educational system, where nobody teaches the age-old subject of geography anymore. So people leave school quite unable to place even Italy on a map of the world. And if you have that kind of massive ignorance, amongst the vast majority of the population, you're not going to have any significant awareness of how serious these issues can be. It's most unfortunate this geographic ignorance seems to be pervasive in the United States. All right, let's talk about uh, a country that people would be able to find on a map, and that is China. Let's have a conversation about the coronavirus um, have you have you ever in your experience, you've been at this a fairly long period of time, um, you've, you've ever seen a, an outbreak of a virus like this that can be transmitted so easily and so quickly has cases around the globe? Well, yes, we had this situation in 2003 in, I don't know whether you remember, the SARS virus, severe respiratory virus. 
That killed, I think, about 800 people worldwide. And it was almost exactly the same situation in China. It, uh, it emerged from animal contact, and it quickly spread not only in China but internationally. Uh, it resulted in a fairly large number of deaths globally. It was finally contained, but the SARS virus revealed a real weakness in the Chinese government at being honest about their own situation and telling the world what was going on. I think there's been a significant improvement since then. The Chinese don't want to be caught napping and caught lying about what's clearly happening in their midst. And they have been certainly much more effective both in isolating the virus, in, in recognizing it, in investigating it, and in closing as much of the country down as they can to prevent any further spread. David Aikman, uh, editor of Godspeed Magazine, thank you so much for being with us. As always, sir, I'm anticipating that next Monday we will have more headlines to discuss. All right. Thank you so much, Carmen. Enjoy being thank- in the program. Thank you, sir. We'll be right back. So you will, uh, at some point today, have an opportunity somewhere at some point in time to speak into a conversation about life and death. I I guarantee it. I guarantee that at some point today, you are going to have an opportunity to talk to somebody about Holocaust Memorial Day or the March for Life this past Friday or... Something that happened yesterday at church where, you know, somebody shared with you the, the, the miracle that their child who was in a horrific head-on collision with a tractor trailer on the inter- interstate emerged from that with no scratches and no bruises. Like, you're, you are going to have an opportunity to have a conversation about life and death at some point today. The United States now has five confirmed cases of the coronavirus. Uh, China's death toll is up at 80 The disease is spreading to other parts of not only the country, but around the world. Several people have been infected um, with this coronavirus here in the United States. And you're this is going to you know, this is going to cause some, um, well, panic. People are going to panic. It looks like Wall Street is already panicking. Um, Anyone who recently traveled to Wuhan is now going to be uh, a suspect in their own communities. And we are likely to hear more reports in the coming days and weeks. Um, and so here's my question. Uh, as people are being identified all over the world and here in the United States, you're going to have to ask yourself, you know, how, is I, how am I as a Christian going to respond? Do I panic? No. We don't panic, we pray. We don't panic, we prepare. We don't panic, we proclaim the goodness of God and his faithfulness. We live as people who are prepared to die. Let's remember that. And then um, as we talked about earlier in today's program, we acknowledge that death comes. Death comes. And so um, as this conversation is taking place, our responsibility as Christians is to help people reconnect the eternal with the everyday. Life is brief. No matter how long it is, life is brief. And eternity is forever. So what are your plans for eternity? And are you today glorifying um, the God uh, who gives life? So you've been listening to Mornings with Carmen. If you want to catch the podcast, you can do so at MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.